All right. Well, good evening. It's good to be with you all again. And I'd like to thank Pastor Jeff and leadership here at Christ Fellowship for having me back to speak again. And uh, it's always a joy uh, when you speak somewhere and then they invite you back. That's usually a good sign. So anyway, it's a pleasure to be here tonight for our first session to start the conference off. Our subject is going to be for this uh, session is going to be when is Jesus coming? When is Jesus coming? Well, there was a new preacher who had just begun his sermon in his church and he, had, he was a little nervous and about 10 minutes into the sermon, his mind went blank. And after a brief second of complete panic, he remembered what they had taught him in seminary about situations like this. Repeat the last point. His teacher assured him that this would help him remember what he was supposed or what was supposed to come next in the sermon. So he gave it a try. Behold, I come quickly, he said. Still, his mind was blank. Well, he tried it again. Behold, I come quickly. Still nothing. He tried one more time, speaking and gesturing with such force that he actually fell forward, knocking the pulpit to one side, tripping over a flower pot, and actually falling into the lap of a little old lady in the front row. The young preacher apologized profusely. That's all right, young man, said the little old lady. It was my fault, actually. I should have gotten out of the way. You told me three times you were coming. (laughs) And it's the same with the second coming of Jesus Christ. God has told us many times over that Jesus is coming back to this earth again. Both the Old Testament and New Testaments are filled with promises of the second coming. Dr. David Jeremiah points out that references to the second coming outnumber references to the first coming of Christ by a factor of eight to one. He goes on to say that scholars have identified 1,845 different biblical references to the second coming of Christ in the Bible. In the Old Testament, no less than 17 books mention Christ's return. The New Testament authors speak of it 23 or in 23 of the 27 books. Seven out of ten chapters in the New Testament refer to his return. In other words, one out of every 30 verses in the New Testament teaches us that Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth. The late author, Dr. Tim LaHaye, who has written extensively on the subject of Bible prophecy, was a bit more conservative in his estimation, but no less confident when he said, no scholar of academic substance denies that Jesus lived almost 2,000 years ago. And yet we find three times as many prophecies in the Bible relating to his second coming as to his first. Thus, the second advent of our Lord is three times as certain as his first coming, which can be verified as historical fact. And surprisingly enough, over half of Americans actually say they believe this. A Pew Research poll that was released in December of 2022, just over a year ago, found that 55% of adults, 18 and over, say they believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ, which I find fascinating. Well, we would be wise then to believe the second coming of Christ, that Jesus is coming again, because God has told us in his word that it's going to happen. But here's the question that everyone wants to know, right? When? 
When is Jesus coming? Well, religious fanatics and false prophets haven't failed over the years to disappoint as far as providing an answer. Since the first century, there have been date setters. Even before all the books of the New Testament were even written, there were those who taught that Christ's return had already taken place. The Thessalonians panicked on Paul when they heard a rumor that the day of the Lord was at hand and that they had missed the rapture. And then, in more modern times, there have been those such as Joseph Smith, the, form, the founder of the Mormon church, William Miller of the so-called Millerites, and also Ellen G. White. Both of those people were founders of Adventism. And then there's Charles Taze Russell, the founder of the Watchtower Tract Society, which eventually morphed into the Jehovah Witnesses. They all set dates predicting the coming of Christ. And they were all wrong. They all set dates predicting the time that Jesus was going to come, but they all failed. And even in our generation, we've had date setters come and go, like Edgar Weissnett, who was a former NASA rocket uh, engineer turned Bible prophecy teacher, who through his booklet, if you remember, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Occur in 1988, in that book he predicted that the rapture of the church would occur during Rosh Hashanah in September of that year. And then when it didn't, he recalculated, and shocker, right, he followed up the next year with another epic fail called The Final Shout, Rapture Report, 1989. (laughs) And then there was Harold Camping, a retired civil engineer turned preacher and president of the Family Radio Network, who, in his book, aptly titled 1994, predicted the coming of Christ on September 6th, 1994, which, as you know, didn't happen. But that didn't stop Camping's date-setting fetish. According to Guardian.com, Camping's most widely spread prediction was that the rapture would happen on May the 21st, 2011. His independent Christian media empire spent millions of dollars, some of it from donations made by followers who actually quit their jobs and sold all their possessions to spread the word on more than 5,000 billboards and 20 trucks plastered with the Judgment Day message. And I remember seeing one here in St. Louis, actually. When the Judgment Day he foresaw did not materialize, the preacher revised his prophecy saying that he had been off by five months. And of course, he has come and went. So, the question remains, when is Jesus coming? Well, tonight, I'm going to tell you. But before I do, there's something important that you need to understand. And it's this. The coming of Christ in the future occurs in two phases. The first phase is the rapture of the church. And the second phase is the second coming of Christ. Again, quoting David Jeremiah, he said this. He said, this is one of prophecy's greatest misconceptions. The rapture and the second coming are often confused, but they are distinct events with distinct purposes on God's prophetic timeline. So, for the rest of my time tonight... I want to share from the scriptures what I believe to be one of the most compelling arguments for the pre-tribulational and pre-millennial viewpoint 
And that is the differences between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. Now, let me add this caveat. We will not be able to look at all of them tonight because we don't have time and the whole evening even to do that. But we're going to look at some of the most important ones. So what this teaching will be, will be a prophetic polemic proving a pre-tribulational and premillennial parousia. Did you get that? For those of you who have no idea what I just said, all right, prophetic prophecy, history written in advance, God telling us what's going to happen in the future, polemic, an argument or a defense, proving pre-tribulational and premillennial, that is before the rapture and before the millennium, and the parousia is the Greek word for the word coming, which is most like or is most frequently used in the New Testament, speaking of the coming of Jesus. So now, let's examine what the Bible has to say about the differences between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ by answering these questions. Four questions, ready? Who, where, why, and when. Okay? Who, where, why, and when. So let's start with the who. At the rapture of the church, Jesus comes for his saints. That's the who. At the second coming, Jesus comes with his saints. If you would, turn your Bibles with me real quickly to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we'll read a portion of scripture here beginning in verse 13. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, in verse 13, Paul says, But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep or who have died, literally, right, in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, there's the parousia, will by no means precede those who are asleep or who are dead. Notice this, for the Lord himself, in other words, the Lord alone, will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. The Hebrew word harpazo, and that's the word where we get the idea of the rapture. It's right here in this passage. Uh, If you were reading the Latin Bible, it was instead of harpazo, which is Greek, it would say rapio. That's the word it comes from which is where we get the English word rapture. So when people tell you the rapture is not in the Bible, no, it is in many different places. And the word rapture is even in there in the sense that it is uh, translated for us in Greek as harpazo from also in Latin as rapio. But we, we we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, that's the dead in Christ, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, one little boy explained the difference, at least he tried to explain the difference, in the roles of God as the creator and Jesus as the savior. And here's what he said. He said, God is the one who puts you down and Jesus takes you up. And that's what Jesus will do at the rapture. He will take his saints up to meet him in the air. Jesus will come alone for his saints, both dead and alive, To be with him forever, which will then make it possible for Jesus to come with his saints at the second coming. 
Jesus' brother Jude writes and lets us know in Jude 14. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying this, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. And where do we see a preview of this event at? The second coming? Well, we see it in Revelation chapter 19. So if you would, turn your Bible over there with me real quick. Revelation chapter 19. And by the way, Jude 14 is not the only scripture that tells us that Jesus comes with his saints. Zechariah also tells us the same thing in uh, Zechariah chapter 14. There are different places. But I want you to notice here in Revelation chapter 19 concerning the second coming. If you would, let's begin reading reading in verse 11. John says, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. This is the second coming of Christ, Jesus coming with his saints to the earth. A different event than what we see in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Now, who are these armies clothed in white coming with Jesus? Well, if you look back... At verse 7 in this chapter, it says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His wife, the bride of Christ, His wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints, or some translations say the righteousness of the saints. And so, these armies are the wife of the Lamb, the bride of Christ, the church, His saints. So at the time of the rapture, Jesus will come alone for his saints, which will then make it possible for him to come with his saints at the second coming, proving that the rapture and the second coming are two distinct events. Now, let's talk about the where. The where. The rapture occurs in the clouds, while the second coming takes place on the earth. According to Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, again, at the rapture, Jesus will only descend as far as the clouds. It tells us in verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend with a sh- uh, from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And it tells us in verse 17, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. So according to Paul, the rapture of the church occurs in the clouds, but the second coming takes place on the earth. If you would, turn back with me to the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 14. Toward the end of your Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 14. I'll take you just to give you a second to get there if you're turning your Bibles. Which is always a pleasant sound for a pastor to hear in church. Now, referring to the second coming of the Messiah, the prophet Zechariah said this, beginning in verse 1, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, and your spoil will be divided in your midst, for I will gather all nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. 
And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives, Olives I'm sorry, and the Mount of Olives shall split in two from the east to the west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it toward the south. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley, for the mountain valley shall reach to Azal. Yes, you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. And notice this. Thus, the Lord my God will come. And here it is. All and all the saints with you, or it should be with him. This is speaking of the second coming of Christ, coming with his saints, touching his feet down on the earth on the Mount of Olives. And then it says in verse 6, it shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. The lights will diminish. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time it shall happen that it will be light. And in that day, that living waters shall flow from Jerusalem, half of them toward the eastern sea and half of them toward the western sea. In both summer and winter it shall occur. And notice this, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. Speaking of his millennial reign. In that day, it shall be. The Lord is one and his name is one. (laughs) And we see the fulfillment of these words actually given by Jesus to the Apostle John. In Revelation again, Revelation chapter 19, verse 15, when John writes and says, Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. So at the rapture, Jesus will only descend as far as the clouds. But at the second coming, Jesus will descend to the earth, touching his feet upon the Mount of Olives, defeating the Antichrist and the nations that have gathered together to destroy the nation of Israel in preparation of setting up his earthly kingdom. And it's interesting. I don't know if you know this or not, but at the University of Notre Dame, there's a mural on the Hesburgh Library that's actually entitled the word of life. But it's commonly known as Touchdown Jesus. We have a picture of it right here. Touchdown Jesus. And it's called that because of the raised position of Christ's arms in the painting and its location directly behind the north end zone of the football stadium. But let me, let you, let me just make this clear. That is not the real touchdown Jesus. Okay? The real touchdown Jesus is yet to appear, but when he does, his feet will touch down on the Mount of Olives and settle the score on this earth once and for all. So the rapture of the church occurs in the clouds while the second coming takes place on the earth, proving again that, there, that they are two distinct events. And because of this distinction, in the rapture, I'm sorry, the rapture of the church will be a private event. Some people use the word secret. It'll be a private event. Whereas the second coming of Christ will be a public event. At the rapture, believers will disappear from this earth so fast that the world won't even notice it until it's over. Paul described it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In verses 51 and 52, he said, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead in Christ will 
will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. And how fast is the twinkling of an eye? Well, scientists say that the twinkling of an eye is the time that it takes for light to enter the eye, reach the back of the eye, and then be reflected back out. And since light travels at 186,000 miles per second, the twinkle is about one billionth of a second. Listen, it's quicker than the blink of an eye. The twinkle is a lot quicker than a blink. And when the rapture happens, the, earth, the people of the earth won't even know it until it is over. So when Jesus comes for his saints in the rapture, it will happen so fast that the world won't have time to prepare because they didn't make reservations beforehand. So they're going to be left. But the second coming will be a public event because Jesus will then be visible to everybody, everyone. In the Olivet Discourse, Jesus told his disciples this very thing concerning his second coming. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 30, when he said this, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Why? Because they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And then Jesus reveals the same to John. In Revelation chapter 1 verse 7 where it says, Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him. Even they who pierced him, speaking of the Jewish people, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. So again, because the rapture of the church occurs in the clouds and the second coming takes place on the earth, the rapture will be a private event, whereas the second coming will be a public event. Now, let's discuss the why real quick. The why. At the rapture of the church, Jesus is coming to deliver believers from the coming tribulation. At the second coming of Christ, Jesus is coming to judge unbelievers. And speaking of the rapture, Paul encouraged the church at Thessalonica by writing to them again, or writing to them again in 1 Thessalonians, this time in chapter 1. In verses 9 and 10, he said this, For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And notice verse 10 says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Referring to the tribulation period. And why will Jesus deliver us from the tribulation period? Because as believers in Christ, we are the objects of his mercy, not his wrath. In both Romans 5.9 and 1 Thessalonians 5.9. Listen, even if you have a hard time memorizing scripture, this is easy, right? The 5.9s, Romans 5.9, 1 Thessalonians 5.9. In both of those scriptures, Paul declared that we shall be saved from the wrath because... God has not appointed us to wrath, but rather to salvation through Christ. But at the second coming, Jesus will execute his judgment upon an unbelieving world. Again, in Jude, in verse 14, we already read that earlier. It says, Now Enoch, seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. That's the second coming to do what? Verse 15, to execute judgment on all, 
to convict all who are ungodly among them of all of their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And John wrote of the second coming in Revelation 19 as we've seen in verse 11. Now I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he does what? He judges and makes war. So the why of the rapture is to deliver believers from God's coming judgment here on the earth while the why of the second coming is to deliver unbelievers unto God's judgment. But there's another important why, and it's this. The subjects of the rapture are believers in Christ, while the subjects of the second coming are the Jews. And this is important. In other words, the rapture, of, the rapture is for the church, but the second coming is for the nation of Israel. And concerning the subjects of the rapture, again, I know I'm beating this like a dead horse, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, right? The Lord's going to descend from heaven with a shout, and then the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus, we shall always be with the Lord. But concerning the subjects of the second coming, Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 11, in verses 25 through 27. He said, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel, all the Jews living at the time Jesus Christ returns, it says, Paul says, will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And how will that happen? Well, Zechariah sums it up in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, when he writes this. And I will pour on the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they have pierced. And yes, they will mourn for him as one who mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one who grieves for a firstborn. And when will Israel be saved? They will be saved when they see their Messiah coming again. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, beginning at verse 30, then the son of the sign, I'm sorry, the sign of the son of man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the coming of the son of man on I'm sorry, and they will see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather his elect from the four winds and from the end, um, from the one end of heaven to the other. He's not speaking there of the rapture and the church. Jesus there is speaking of the second coming and his gathering of the nation of Israel together to him to bring them national salvation. So why, so I'm going to say it this way. The why of the rapture is the salvation of the church. And the why of the second coming is the salvation of the nation of Israel. 
And finally, the moment we've all been waiting for, when? (laughs) When is Jesus coming? When will he come? Well, the answer to that question lies in the difference between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. Surprised, huh? And how so? The rapture of the church occurs before the tribulation. The second coming of Christ occurs after the tribulation. The coming of Jesus in the clouds to rapture his church will take place before the tribulation begins. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus told the faithful believers in Philadelphia that he would come for them before the tribulation begins. In verse 10, Jesus spoke to this church and he said this, Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from. And the word from there is that Greek word ek, which doesn't only mean from, but it also means out of. I will keep you from or out of the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world. That's speaking of the hour of the tribulation because it's going to be a global event that the world is going to go through. And what's going to happen during that time? He says to test those who dwell on the earth. And then he tells this church in the very next verse, Behold, I am coming quickly. He's speaking of the rapture there. Then when you turn to the next chapter, you know what you see? You see just that. John, who is representative of the church, in chapter 4, he gets raptured to heaven. And then he is present in the throne room of God along with the rest of the redeemed people of God before the unleashing of the wrath of God upon the earth dwellers. John is there along with the 24 elders who most good Bible scholars believe are representative of the church. And John himself is representative of the church. And there they are before the tribulation begins being caught up. In fact, Jesus told, or the scripture tells us there in Revelation 1 that Jesus, that the voice, the voice John hears is like the sound of a trumpet. If you go back to Revelation chapter 1, you see that was the voice of Jesus and John's vision of Jesus. And Jesus tells John at that point, come up here. Boy, can't you wait to hear that? You you know, you you see all, we read this in the scripture that there's going to be a voice and the trumpet. And, you know, we all have our ideas about the way all this is going to play out, don't we? And I just have to believe, I I know because, you know, Paul writes and says that it's going to be like the voice and trumpet of an archangel, you know, but I believe, according to Revelation, that it's going to be the voice of Jesus. I believe that one day, that all of us who are alive on this earth at the time of the rapture, I believe it's going to be the voice of Jesus we're going to hear. Come up here. And in one billionth of a second, we will be with him. I think that's what happened to John, at least in his vision and everything he saw. It's going to happen to us one day. Just incredible. So, after Revelation chapter 3, 
You do not see the word church used again in the book of Revelation. Nor is the church seen again until she returns with Christ in Revelation chapter 19, which we already looked at. So while the rapture of the church takes place before the, tri- before the tribulation period begins, the second coming of Christ will take place at the end of the tribulation. Jesus clearly showed John this in Revelation chapter 19, which we've already looked at. And he actually confirmed this to his disciples in Matthew 24, in verses 29 and 30. Jesus said to his disciples immediately, after the tribulation of those days. Jesus gives us a clear time marker here. When Jesus in Matthew 24 gives the signs of his second coming, in verse 29, he gives us a time marker. After the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And so because the rapture of the church occurs before the tribulation and the second coming of Christ occurs after the tribulation, that means that the rapture is imminent. Meaning... It could occur at any moment. While the second coming, on the other hand, cannot occur until certain end time events take place. In other words, the rapture is a signless event. Whereas the second coming will be preceded with many signs. And boy, could we go to a lot of scripture right now. But when it comes to the doctrine of imminency, The idea that Jesus could come at any moment. Almost every New Testament writer encourages believers to be looking for and eagerly awaiting the coming of the Lord because it is near. Okay? Those are all words of imminency in Scripture. And it's interesting because I really believe, as you read the New Testament, I believe the church in the first century, was looking for the rapture. And why do I say that? I say that because of what Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Whenever he talks about the rapture and how it's going to happen, then he says, and we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord. Now, we know he's talking about the generation that's alive when that happens. But Paul uses those words, or used that word, we. And I believe that's so because the rapture is a signless, imminent event that could have happened at any time after Jesus left. But we know the reason that all of this hasn't happened yet, Peter tells us, is because God loves sinners. And he's giving them plenty of time to repent. So concerning the doctrine of imminency, Paul wrote in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, that as believers, we should be looking. That means continually and constantly living our life looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, 
Paul said, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then I love this one in James. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 9, and I'm just picking the important parts out of this for time's sake. He says, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. It is near. It is imminent. It could happen at any time. And because of that, in verse 9, he says what? Behold, the judge is standing at the door. He gives this idea that Jesus is right there at the door, ready to come at any time. The Father says, go get your bride. It's amazing. And of course, in the book of Revelation, Jesus himself said repeatedly, I am coming quickly. And the word quickly there doesn't mean soon. Because if it does, then he's quite late. Right? The word quickly there means suddenly or without warning. In other words, the rapture is imminent. You know, the great preacher D.L. Moody was once asked this question. What is the secret of your success? And Moody replied with these words. He said, for I have never given an address. Speaking of preaching a message. I've never given an address without the consciousness that the Lord may come before I have finished. Boy, shouldn't we live our life that way? Shouldn't we live our life that whatever it is we're engaged in and whatever we're doing, we may not finish it because the Lord might just come at that time. I'd be okay if he came before I finished. And by the way, I'm almost finished. And according to my clock, man, I'm really early. You're welcome. But that's imminency. That's what Moody was talking about. But when it comes to the second coming, it will come with anticipation and fair warning because it will be preceded by many many signs such as those given by Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 24 particularly in verses 15 through 30 now we're not going to turn there because it's a lot to read and I'm not even going to quote it for you but for some homework you might want to go home and read Matthew 24 verses 15 through 30 and why did I pick it up in verse 15 is because that is another time marker Jesus gives When he speaks about the great tribulation or the second half of the tribulation, he speaks of what Daniel spoke about in Daniel 9 and Daniel 12 about the abomination of desolation when the Antichrist doesn't come on the scene. He comes on the scene at the beginning of the tribulation to make a covenant with Israel. We know that from Daniel 9.27. That's when the tribulation begins. But what Jesus brings up in verse 15, the abomination of desolation then begins the second half of the tribulation, which means there's only three and a half years left. Right? There's only a a time, times and a half a time. Right? Or 1260 days. The Bible puts it all those different ways. So Jesus literally tells us when the second coming is going to occur. And he tells us in relation to the abomination of desolation. 
So the rapture of the church being an imminent event occurs before the tribulation. While the second coming of Christ being, will be preceded by many signs and it occurs after the tribulation. That is the difference. So in conclusion, when is Jesus coming? Well, you're going to get the answer. You've really already gotten the answer, but here it is, right? Because the coming of Christ in the future occurs in two phases, the first being the rapture of the church before the tribulation and the second coming of Christ after the tribulation, Jesus is coming immediately before and after the tribulation. Okay? And for those who aren't satisfied with that answer... And for those who long for a definitive date, well, this ain't what I have to say. Here's what Jesus had to say. And I'll leave you with these words. In Matthew 24, verse 36 and verse 44, Jesus said, But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour You do not expect. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for loving us so much that you did not leave us in the dark. Lord, though we are in a world that is dark and getting darker by the day. Lord, we are so thankful for that blessed hope that we have. That Lord, you're going to send your son back again. First of all, to retrieve your believers. To take your saints from this world. To spare them from the wrath that you're pouring out on the earth dwellers. Father, we thank you for that. And so, Father, as believers in Christ, Father, help us to live every day. And not only only every day, but every moment. As if before whatever we're doing is finished, Jesus could come. He could come at any time. So Father, help us to be that pure bride that loves you so much that is our only concern, Lord, is just glorifying you and pleasing you. Father, as Pastor Jeff shared right before we started tonight, Such an appropriate scripture. Let us who have this hope that Jesus is coming for us. Father, the fact that we have this hope, the fact that we have these prophecies, Father, I pray that we wouldn't let it just become head knowledge, but let it sink to our heart to where it has a purifying effect in our lives. That, Lord, we would live holy lives until we see your holy face. And Father, because of that and knowing the judgment that is going to come after that upon this world. Father, I know there's not a person here that does not have someone in their life, a family member, a co-worker. Whom they love, who are lost. Father, may what we learn tonight motivate us also to pray for those who are lost. And then, Lord, use us as your laborers to go into the fields 
to warn people and to share the good news of the gospel with them as how they can be saved and escape that time too. And so, Father, we love you. We thank you for loving us so much that you gave us your word, that you sent your spirit to convict us and draw us to your son. And so, Father, I pray that we would live the rest of our days looking for that blessed hope and the appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.